What I'd like for you to do now, if you will, is turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. As you're turning there, I, I just want to make a few quick comments about what has been happening in the world, especially in this country, to lead us to this particular text this morning. Uh, I, guess you're, I guess you realize now that... Uh, COVID-19 is not important anymore. Wearing masks and, you know, keeping social distancing doesn't matter anymore. I, I, I read an article this week, uh, actually yesterday, uh, that 1,000 health experts signed a letter saying that they were in full support of the protesters uh, out and about. Uh, so they were saying, you know, it's, it's more important to support that. And, you know, and, and so the first thought that came to my mind was, well, where's all the science in all of this? Because we've been told time and time again over the last couple of months, oh, we need to follow the science. Well, last time I checked, science was very stable, you know. This is not. This is, uh, again, showing us some of the problems from the very beginning that we've seen with the politicization, politicalization of all of the things that are going on, both with COVID-19 and now with this situation that uh, has just gotten out of control. What is the church to do? What has God called us to do as believers in Jesus Christ? And we have every opportunity, each and every one of us, to use the gifts that God has given us to reach those that need to know about Jesus. The Apostle Paul told someone who had gifts of another kind to do the work of an evangelist But that is also what we've been told to do. Do the work of one who is to present the good news of Jesus Christ. That's not exclusive to those who have the gift of evangelism, as we'll talk about in a moment. But all of us are to be light and salt. All of us are to be an example of the love of Christ. All of us are to give testimony of what Christ has done for us. We're not in this room because of anything we did. We are in this room because of everything that Christ did for us. And so I want to deal with the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry in the times in which we're living. And Paul mentions now the gifts that God has given to the church. But they're unique gifts. Not like, not like the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. Or in 1 Peter 4. Paul says in verse 11, and he gave some apostles. And some prophets. And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I'll mention this later, but that was just one sentence. <sighs> Try saying all of that with one breath. Now, if we were to develop a mission statement based on this passage and message and the need that we see in the world around us today and do so focused on two words, those two words would be connect and equip. Connect and equip. Do we want to connect people to Jesus? Well, think about this. Somebody connected us to Jesus. Somebody brought us to the knowledge of Christ. So, do we want to connect people to Jesus? I would believe that we would say yes. And in following up, do we want to equip them to grow and be faithful followers of Christ? I believe our answer would also be yes. But before we can get others to connect to Jesus, we need to be equipped ourselves. We need to be equipped ourselves. I ran across this phrase a few years ago, and it really got me to think about this subject today. The phrase is this, we may not have it all together, but together we have it all. Think about it. We may not have it all together. I know I, if I look at my own life, I mean, I don't have it all together. I, I would have hoped that after all these years in the Lord, you not have it all together. But, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that he's working in me, just as he's working in you. But together, as the church, as the body of Christ, we have it all together because we've been given all by God for those very same things that we need him for. That's what I'd like for us to, to learn in this passage from Ephesians. In fact, this passage, as I said earlier, is one long sentence in the Greek. It is. But we can still look at it one segment at a time, and that's what we're going to do this morning. But before we do that, let me ask you all a couple of questions, a couple of more questions. Have you ever been asked how many pastors or ministers we have here at Calvary Chapel? Would you be tempted to say that there are six? Because when you open up our bulletin, whenever we do have a bulletin, there are six names there. Would you be tempted to say, when somebody asks you how many ministers are there, at Calvary Chapel of El Paso, to say six? Well, actually, that's not a biblically correct answer. To give a rather conservative answer, we would have to, we, we, we would have to say that we have approximately 500 to 600 ministers in this church. We do have six equippers. 
because that's what we do. We equip you. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 of our text. Because this establishes that thought. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for, there's a purpose now, for the perfecting or equipping of the saints, another purpose for the work of the ministry. It's really, all, it's really one purpose. Equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's a third aspect of the one purpose. So before we move on, I'd like to suggest that we set aside labels like clergy laity. We oftentimes hear that, you know, clergy, you know, when somebody's in the clergy, the first thought that comes to mind is a stiff collar, you know, the black shirt, you know, stiff white collar, whatever, you know, some kind of robe. <laughs> Please don't give me a robe. We're not clergy. Those that are in the church, in certain churches, in certain denominations, they, they depend upon the laity. The laity, L-A-I-T-Y, is, is really people in the church who aren't in quote-unquote ministry, but want to serve in some way, so they are the laity. Lay ministers, sometimes I think in I've seen that in the Methodist churches. They have lay ministers. They're not ordained, but they are out of the ministry. But not all of them are called that. Yet the Bible tells us that all of us are. Because we've been given gifts. And those gifts are to equip us to be the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do the work of the ministry. So welcome all of you ministers here today. So we don't want to use those terms clergy and lady because when the church was launched in the book of Acts, everyone saw themselves as ministers. In fact, it was, during, it was sometime during the dark ages that the distinction between clergy and lady came about. How appropriate, dark ages. But consider what Peter writes in his first letter to the church as, he's, as, as he paints this beautiful picture of how God sees every believer in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, look at what he says. And I want you to focus on the ye and the you. This is plural, not singular. He says, but ye, church, ye are a chosen generation. Ye are a royal priesthood. Ye are an unholy nation. Ye are a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is saying to the whole church, you're the chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. Folks, before we came to Jesus, we were even more peculiar. Well, some of you still are. I'm just kidding. But why? So that you should show forth 
the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, telling people why you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, why your life has changed, why you now, with all of your heart, love people that may have, you may have hated at one time or hated you. You're the ministers. And so getting back to verse 11 of our, our text, let's consider the words of Paul. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now in this particular verse, we see that Paul is not so much speaking of spiritual gifts given to Christians, but is speaking specifically uh, of Christians who are given as gifts to the church. Individuals given as gifts to the church. The other passages, as I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, we'll, we'll see a little bit of that later. Uh, the other passages on spiritual gifts describe God-given abilities. But here, the emphasis on God-given individuals. God-given individuals. Now, we don't have the time to fully explain each category, uh, but suffice it to say that the first two, the apostles and the prophets, are foundational groups of people that the church needed before the New Testament was completed. I mean, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the whole Bible hadn't been yet put together. Which Bible was Paul using? He was using the Hebrew Scriptures. And even out of that came the truths of the New Testament. So, the apostles, the original 12, the 11 plus Paul, as it were, were those that helped to establish the foundation of the Word of God. And then, of course, the prophets themselves were prophets not so much in, in looking at what was yet to come, but looking at foretelling, foretelling, or I should say foretelling, I'm sorry, foretelling, that, uh, you know, the, the understanding of the Word of God uh, as, as they had it at that time. Then, of course, the evangelists, the third group mentioned. Evangelists are bearers of good news. The word evangel in the, in, the, in the Greek means good news. So when you hear of an evangelist, an evangelist is one who preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. They're bearers of the good news and continue their work today, presenting the gospel in a biblically compelling way so that people get saved. There may be some of you here today who came to know Jesus Christ through an evangelist, through one who preached the gospel, and you, you know, the Lord opened your eyes and, you, and your ears and you heard the word of God and you responded by receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The next and the last category is really one category, that is pastor-teacher. Pastors and teachers. I see pastors and teachers as one category because the article some is not used for teachers as it is with the other groups. Some apostles... Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So it doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. No. Pastors, teachers is, is one group. And this is what we need to understand is that the word pastor literally means a shepherd. And it pictures the caring, the feeding, and the leading of the flock of God. Now, 
as the teacher or as a teacher, a pastor must teach the word of God, knowing that a well-fed flock will grow to maturity. Pastors then are to tend and to teach. To tend to the flock, teach the flock. We do it in large formal settings as here today. We, we also do it in smaller informal settings as well. But the pastor, t- pastor teacher's role can be described this way, as I saw it one time, I, I think it's pretty cool. Their job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Comfort the afflicted, to bring peace to the heart of one who is not at peace and come to know the peace that can only come through Jesus Christ. To afflict the comfortable is simply to say that the Lord has given us the opportunity to light a fire underneath your seat and get you going because you've become too complacent, possibly. I'm not saying you, I'm just saying that some have gotten too complacent and are not serving the Lord as they should. So it's time to, you know, light that fire. Stir stir the coals. Get us going for the Lord. And by the way, we need to be going now because we are so close to the coming of Jesus Christ. So close. Which, which brings us to something, let me, let me just say very quickly here. You all have been hearing people tell you that we have to get ready for a new normal. <sighs> I'm a little sick and tired of hearing that. Just sharing a little bit of my heart with you. Really sick and tired of hearing that because you know what? Normal's normal. And if it's not normal, it's abnormal. So what I have said about looking toward a better normal... All I'm saying is it is better for us to get serious and right with God now and get serious and right with Jesus Christ because the normal Christian life is not normal, but it's not abnormal either. It is the norm in heaven. It is the norm that God wants us to have. And he has awakened us in these last few months. He has awakened the church. To get out of the old normal, as it were. Not a new normal. Get the right normal. Okay? Okay. I've had, I've had enough with the normal thing. Okay. So that's our job, is to comfort the afflicted, to afflict the comfortable. So let's look at verse 12 again of Ephesians 4, and it says, For the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting means the equipping, the training, and the preparing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we're going to get into that word, but let me just say this, that pastors prepare, servants serve. But if you'll notice what this says over here behind me, pastors prepare and serve. Let me explain these things one step at a time. Pastors prepare the flock with the word of God, equip with the word of God, uh, train in the word of God. But we also serve. We're servants. Pastors are a part of the flock. We are all sheep because there's only one shepherd, and the shepherd is Jesus Christ. Now, pastors as shepherds are under shepherds. We are under the leadership of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the good shepherd. He is, in truth, the true shepherd and the only shepherd. So we are servants, too. 
So we prepare and we serve. We serve you in, in what we do, but we also serve others. Because we need to reflect the love of Christ in our community just as much as every one of us has to do that. We don't sit in ivory towers. We don't, you know, we, we go out and we're out there. We have to, we, you know, we have to remember that we are going to reflect the light of the glory of Christ. All right, so then the next step is servants serve and prepare. Servants take what is given to them in, in instruction, in the, in the preparation, in the equipping, and then we serve. As servants, we serve, but we also prepare. We prepare others. God has called us to prepare others with the gospel of Jesus Christ and with the word of God. And then we also prepare for what else? The coming of Jesus. So we're all to prepare for the coming of Christ. That's why we tell you week in and week out, get ready, because Jesus is coming. So you got to be preparing for that coming by staying in God's word, by keeping God's word, by loving God's word, by presenting God's word. So all of that in mind now, the word perfecting that is used in our text carries a wealth of meaning. It is the Greek word katartismos, which literally means to completely furnish. To completely furnish. And, and, I, I, and I thought about that word, because, or the meaning of that word, uh, because I, I, I was thinking, you know, that, that if we were ever to be given a, a, a fully beautiful, built, well-built new home, and, and the person who, who is uh, receiving this home is being told, listen, you don't have to bring any of your old furniture into this house. It's, fur- it's fully furnished. And you open the doors and you walk in and wow, you know, all the furniture's there. There's tables there with all kinds of neat little knickknacks here and this and that on the walls. And you go around, wow, this is completely furnished. But maybe let's go look at the kitchen. And then you go in there and you have all the wonderful appliances. It's fully furnished. You decide to look, you know, take a peek inside the garage. And then all of a sudden you see there's tools and, and shelves of tools on the wall. And you're thinking, this is completely furnished. I mean, there's not a thing that I'm going to have to bring into this place. You go out into the backyard, and it is not, you know, just like uh, you know, backyards in El Paso, you know, like dirt and maybe a little patch of grass and a lot of weeds over here. No, man, it's a beautiful lawn and maybe a swimming pool on the side. You say, this place is completely furnished. I don't have to bring a thing into this place. That's what that word means. Oh, yeah, you go into the bedroom. Yeah, there's beds. Comfortable. Pillows. Oh. Go into the restroom. We'll get out there, and it's a, you know it's all other places. But everything is fully furnished. That's what the word means. But now, interestingly enough, in the Greek, it's the same word that is used to describe what James and John were doing when they were mending and preparing their nets in Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-one. There it says, and going on from thence, he saw their two brethren, James and. Uh, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. The word mending there is the word katartismos. Uh, they were mending their nets, and he called them. Well, that meant that they had to clean 
all the seaweed off of the nets. They were to stitch up the sections of the nets that were torn. They had to untangle the nets and get them ready to be used again at a moment's notice. Now, the nets were prepared for service, not to be put in storage. The nets were prepared for service, not to be put in storage. The nets had now become completely furnished for what they were intended to be used for. Got it? Do this and make me happy. See? Yeah? Okay. I hope you got it. Now, in classical Greek, and this is just an added understanding of the word, but in classical Greek, the word katartismos was used for the setting of a bone in order to put it back into proper alignment in the body. Isn't that fascinating? And so pastors and teachers are to, pre, are to repair what's broken and supply what's missing so that the people of God can be strengthened to serve. This is why we teach the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. We teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we hope that in all of that, each and every one of you is receiving the instruction necessary for the calling and the purposes that God has raised you up for as believers in Jesus Christ. Now we go back to verse 12. One more, one more phrase. For the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. The Greek word for ministry here is diakonia, from which we get the word deacon, which means ministry. It means minister. It is used for ministration and for service. Diakonia is ministry, minister, or service. How many of you like uh, to go to an Italian restaurant and, and you order minestrone? No one? Come on. All right. When, when the restaurants are finally open. All right. So minestrone. That, that's the same word. In, the, in, in Italian, you know, it's, it, it comes, of course, from, you know, the, uh, uh, the Latin, but it's connected to deacon. It, 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 it means minister. Uh, it means to serve. It just means to serve. The idea of ministroni, I don't know why I got into that. I think maybe I'm hungry this morning. But the, the reason I mention it is because what it means is just simply to serve. What are you serving today? You know, back in the old days, you know, people would be traveling. There were no hotels, but sometimes houses would be open and, and they would uh, have family stay with them. And, and uh, of course, they would uh, provide meals. And, and uh, what, what, what are you serving today? You know, so that was, you know, well, it's, it's minestrone, which that's what we're serving. You know, whatever we got in the pantry, we throw it in water and we boil it up. And that's what you're going to have for lunch today. Okay, so that's, that's it. What, what is being served? Well, guess what? You are the servants. You're the ones being served, and you're the ones that are serving. So this is so important for us to, to realize when we see the Word of God as applying to all the church and not just to some people in the church. Now, if we literally translate the first part of verse 12, going back to verse 12, 
where it says for the preparing and, uh, you know, for the uh, uh, perfecting of the saints, uh, it, would, it would be saying for the preparing and complete furnishing of the saints into, into the work or into works of service. Into works of service. Now those who are equipped go into ministry. So who's being equipped? What have we learned so far? We're all being equipped. We're being equipped by the Word of God. We are being called into works of service. This is what Paul is saying. Those who are equipped go into ministry. That makes you ministers. We mistakenly speak of only pastors and missionaries who go into the ministry. But every member of the family of God is a minister. Every saint is a servant. And by the way, I mean every saint is a servant. And a saint is somebody who's alive. Let's check our pulses this morning. I know that there would be some that would say, well, saints are people that have passed on, but they had such a good life that they're going to be recognized for that. Folks, the Apostle Paul used the word saint for every believer in every church that he wrote to. To the saints in Ephesus. To the saints in Rome. To the saints in Philippi. To the saints in Colossae. Well, saints are alive. Saints are those who believe in Jesus Christ. Saints are those who have been set apart unto God and set apart from the world. That is the root word of saint. So every saint is a servant. Every saint is a minister. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I, and I show verses 10 and 11 to you because I want you to see the statement that Peter is making himself here. When he says, every man, not some men, not some people, every man, if any man. So let's read it. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice that. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister serve the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, in other words, if God has given you that, that gift to speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, you're not speaking your own thoughts and your own ideas about the word. I don't want to hear anybody's opinion about the word. I want to hear the word of God, and I want to know what it means. But it has to come from what the scripture says, not from what somebody devises. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, serve, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. You see, when you serve the Lord, and you serve the church, and you serve the community, you are serving with a gift that God has given to you. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when these gifts are given unto the church for the sake of preparing and, and uh, um, uh, perfecting of the saints, gifts, these gifts, will indeed lead to growth. And don't we all want to grow in Christ? I would hope that we do. Let's go back to our text, verse 12. For the, work, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We haven't touched on that yet. We will. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge 
of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. And the word children here is the word that literally means babes or infants. That we henceforth be no more babes or infants or children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That is sadly happening in the church today where people going to churches where the Word of God is not preached, where the Word of God is not taught, where the Word of God is not presented in its fullness, and they hear all kinds of doctrines come through this way and that way, then they're just like these children going here and there, just, you know, agreeing with everything. Folks, God gave us uh, gifts, and one of the gifts that He gave us was a spirit of discernment. And that is discerning of spirits. In anything said, you have to be careful about it. Why do so many people flock to the laughter movement back 20 years ago? As if that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And what did it do? It produced nothing but confusion. Nothing. What it did was it got a lot of people out of those churches and got them into churches where the Bible really means something. And should always mean something. <clears throat> so, till we all come into unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, where am I? Oh, okay. verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. The slight. You know, you've heard of the sleight of hand? You know, that's, that's a you know, magician or, or, you know, one of these uh, illusionists. You know, he does something over here with his hand, but over here he's doing something else. <laughs> you know, sleight of hand. That's happening in the church today. By the slight of men, leading in you into all kinds of deception, cunning craftiness, doing it on purpose, not as if they don't know it, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What was the mark of the end times that Jesus told us? Four times, Matthew 24, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Deception. Will reign. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, every gift is to encourage one another, is to build us up in unity of the faith and in the bond of perfection, not in the perfection of man, but in the perfection of Christ. So when pastors do what they do, now listen, care, listen carefully to me. When pastors do what they must do, and the people do what they are called to do, according to verses 12 through 16, our gifts lead to growth in at least six ways. Our gifts will lead to growth in at least six ways. First of all, the body is edified. The body is built up. To edify means to build up. Most of us know Spanish here, so edificio. Edificio is a building, one that is built up. Edify comes from that word, that root Latin word, edificio. The body is edified, it's built up. The purpose behind serving, it is to build up the body of Christ. It is to build up one another. 
It is to build up those who have no idea or thought of what the gospel is. You build them up in the, in the, in the, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord so that the body is built up. And once we are equipped and serving, we will become growing and faithful followers. We are to continue to grow. We are never to stop growing. We are always to keep growing in the love, mercy, grace, and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we will experience unity in the faith. That's verse 13. As a matter of fact, verse 13 begins with the words, till we all come. That phrase, till we all come, refers to travelers arriving at their destination. Is that, what we, is that not what we want to have happen? Of course it is. We want people to arrive to their destination, being that they are going to be with Christ forever and ever. Disunity often raises its ugly head when people sit on the sidelines and talk about their needs instead of sacrificially serving in order to meet the needs of others. Folks, in the Christian life, there are no sidelines. There are no sidelines. We're all in the game, as it were. We don't get off and start talking about our own problems. We have them. And when God gives us the opportunity, we share them so that people can pray with us. And we pray for others, and we see God do his work. But if our only focus is on ourselves, we're in a lot of trouble. So we experience unity in the faith as we stay in God's word. Thirdly, we will have a renewed relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ will grow. I mean, that's what that phrase is there, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, in verse 13. It is interesting to me, there was a study a long time ago, and I I can't even remember all the details of it, but it was was called Follow Me. It, It taught that the number one factor in moving people deeper in their relationship and fellowship with Jesus was that they were regularly serving in some ministry. If you're regularly serving in some ministry, I mean, we, we just grow deeper and deeper in love with the Lord Jesus. And, and that's the way it should be. Fourthly, we will have a mature congregation. This should concern us all, that we have a mature congregation. Verses 13 and 14, together. Unto a perfect man, unto the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, so on and so forth. Some people are like the little girl. Some people are like the little girl who had been trying for months to tie her own shoes. She finally figured it out, but then she started crying. And her dad asked her why she was so sad. And she replied, because now I'll have to tie my shoes all by myself for the rest of my life. Think about that. I'd rather have somebody else do it. No. You got to do it. If we want to grow as a church, we must be involved in giving of our time, of our talents, and of our treasures. It is more than an investment because our treasures aren't here on this earth. Jesus said, our treasures are in heaven. 
And then we will experience spiritual stability. Verse 14b, second part of verse 14. We won't be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cutting craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Spiritual stability comes when we are sold out to Christ and when we are sold out in our service. We need to be sold out to Jesus in what we do for him. And then lastly, we will be linked in love. We will be linked together in love. If we want our church to grow in love, then we must live lives of loving service. Loving service. That's why verses 15 and 16 say, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. In other words, we are supporting, supporting one another according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. By the way, I didn't mention it earlier, but the word stature that we find uh, in our text in verse 13, the word stature means maturity. It literally means maturity. That should always be our goal, is to be mature Christians. So we will grow, and we will be built up in love only, only when each part does its work. When each part does its work, when each part fulfills his or her gifts. A church is healthy only when it is filled with people who serve. When pastors equip the gifted and God's people exercise their gifts. Now I'm going to tell you this, and I speak for my fellow pastors here. We're committed to do our part. We will commit ourselves before you. We are committed to do our part. All I ask is, will you do yours? Will you do yours? One pastor wrote this, and I want you to really listen. This is beautiful. It's just phrased in such a beautiful way. But he said this, God gave me a gift, not for me, but for you. And God gave you a gift, not for you, but for me. If you don't use your gift, you're depriving me. If I don't use my gift, I'm robbing you. How we need to consider that. We've all been given gifts. The greatest gift, of course, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a, what a gift that is. But from that gift, God will give even more gifts. But gifts that are to be used, not for us, but for others. So here's the bottom line. We're looking for servants, not superstars. No superstars. 
There are no superstars here. I get weary sometimes. I'll look at YouTube and I'll listen to certain pastors, you know, that have these huge mega churches, and a lot of times they don't even open the Bible and they bounce around and, you know, but they're looked at like superstars. Well, they're going to get their reward. That's what Jesus said. They'll get their applause. I'm not here for applause. I'm here to do a job. I know it sounds weird, job, you know, but I'm here to do my work, and that is to exercise my gift to teach you the Word of God so that you will grow in every gift that God has given to you. So God's not looking for superstars. He's looking for servants. We're, not, we, we're looking for contributors. Listen, we are looking for contributors, not just consumers. Contributors. Some people just eat and run. I'm not talking about this church. I don't want to talk about this church that way. But some people just eat and run. They come on Sundays, they get something out of it, but then they're gone until the next Sunday, if, if that. But I'm not talking about any of you, because I love you. Did, did you know that the idea, that that idea would have been foreign to the early church? For some people just to come to church and then just to leave, and then we'll come back next Sunday. No, the early church wasn't that. You know, the early church was the church every day. The early church may have met one day a week or two days a week. Sometimes they met three or four days a week, but they met a lot, and they were always the church. Let's always remember that when we leave these doors, we go out you know, into our community, we're still the church. Because the church isn't this building. It's just a building. The body of Christ is the church. You're the church. So my expectations for you is, is a lot greater than that. My expectation for you is a lot greater. That you're not just an eat and run kind of person. Now, Paul's concern for young Timothy was that he not only be able to identify his gift, but that he would deploy it by doing something with it. Doing something with the gift that he was given. So this is what he says early on. First Timothy. Notice, First Timothy, we'll get, we'll get to Second Timothy in a moment. First Timothy 4, verses 12 through 16, Paul says to him, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity. By the way, in conversation is in conduct. In, in charity is in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading. He's telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, you need to be reading. Read the word of God. You need to be reading. Know, know the times. Know the times in which you're living. Be understanding of the times in which you live. But be one who reads. Give attendance to reading, then give attendance to exhortation and to doctrine. Doctrine. He doesn't mention that last. He mentions that last to be the strongest thing that he needs to focus on is the doctrine of the Word of God. Then he says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. Don't neglect the gift that you already have, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. In other words, the leaders of the church. The elders, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. 
In other words, holy meaning from the word whole. Give yourself completely to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. You know that when we are being filled with the, the gifts that God has given us and exercised through the power of the Holy Spirit, man, these gifts need to be seen by all. But what are they seeing? Are they seeing me? Are they seeing you? Are they seeing Jesus? Are they seeing the power of Christ in us? And then look at verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Don't stop. There's no time to stop. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. It's not, he's not telling him, listen, you'll only be saved if you do what I tell you. He's talking about the, just the completeness of the life that we live as believers. We will end our life like he ends in 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have run the course. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. We need to run and keep the faith. So in 2 Timothy, years later, Timothy's older, struggled in ministry, as, we can, as best as we can tell in our study of 2 Timothy. He tells him in verses 6 to 10 of chapter 1, and I know that we've covered this recently, but let me go through this again. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance. Timothy, I'm trying to recall to your mind that you stir up the gift of God. You have a gift. I talked about it in the first letter I sent you. Now I'm talking about it now. That thou stir up the gift of God. I used this last week as an example of having a, a, a stick that stirs up uh, dying embers of a fire and relights those, you know, the, the, the fire inside of Timothy's heart. That thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of, a love, and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul is telling Timothy, don't give up because times are hard. Don't give up because all matter of fear is being thrown at you. Don't give up because we see the world crumbling all around us in an awful, ugly way. Don't give up. Stir up the gift of God that is within each and every one of you here. Do you need to allow the Holy Spirit to fan your gift into full flame? We all do. Let me just answer that for us all. We all do. Are you burning bright for him? Or are you just flickering or smoldering? I hope that you're burning bright for Jesus. So let me just make this statement. 
I know it sounds like we're coming to the end. But we're not. Not quite. But let me make this statement to you. All of you. All of you. All of you are needed in this church. All of you are needed. Don't ever think for a moment that you're not needed. I need you. I need you to pray for me. Pray for us, the pastors, ministers, the elders. We need you. Put aside any struggles you may have. We're all human. I've made my mistakes. Sometimes they become costly mistakes. I would hope not. But we've all made them. I've always wanted my heart to be of this nature. For 36 years, I've pastored this church. Some of you are saying, that's a lot of years. Well, could be. But for 36 years, I've seen a lot of people come and go. Some in anger, they leave. For a misunderstanding, for not agreeing of something. And I understand. You don't like it here? Well, there's other places to go. But I've seen some of them come back through the doors of the church, whether, whether it's here or wherever we've been over the past 36 years. And I've always wanted to have the attitude that said, when they walk through the door, all I want to do is embrace them as a brother or sister in Christ and tell them, you're home again. Whether the Lord had spoken to them or or encouraged them or maybe they or showed them that maybe they were wrong. Or they could come to me and say, Well, this is what happened, and I say, Well then if that would happen and I didn't know, then I was wrong and I ask you for your forgiveness, I would do that. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? That that's the attitude that I want to have here. That's why I say we're all needed. All of you are needed in this church. Because God has given you gifts that I need. God has given us gifts that you need. And we just want to minister them to you faithfully. Faithfully. So the Lord has gifted you and now he wants to use you. But understand this. That in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, Paul said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Isn't that wonderful? That God has given, you know, the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, every believer in Jesus Christ, to profit with all. So when you use your gifts, you, there, there's a profit there. What, what's the profit? We grow. And we grow together. So 
I guess I have to leave you with this. There's a word, shape. God is always shaping us more and more into the image of Christ. That's how I've kind of looked at it. But each letter of that word shape means something to me. The first one is that God has indeed given us spiritual gifts. S, spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts are what we do. This is what God has given to us that we do them. The second is the word heart. It is from where we do what we do. From our heart to affect the hearts of others. We need to have a heart for ministry and we need to have a heart for one another. Our heart is where the motivation lies for us to do what we do for Christ and for each other. And then there's abilities. Those are the talents that God gives and we develop. Now they're just different than gifts because gifts are something that God gives us. Take for example our worship team. Worship team members are, are, are given the gift that they can lead others to worship. Well, what is, more, what is also needed? The abilities to play and to sing. <laughs> Those are the things that are developed. So I just use that as, as an example. Same thing fits for just about everything else that is done in the church, teaching children. Even greeting people at the door. I mean, these are gifts, they're abilities. People have that ability to do so. We have to have the ability. And then there's personality. How, how we do what we do. Well, how do we do what we do? By being who God made us to be. I have to be who I am. I've always said this for many, many years. There's only one Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith was the founder of, of Calvary Chapel Ministries many, many years ago. But there's only one Chuck Smith. I'm not Chuck Smith. I don't want to be like Chuck Smith. I can't even sound like him. I can't even get my voice down that low like he did. There's only one Chuck Smith. There's only one me. So it's my personality. Well, God made me to be. That's who I have to be. Lastly, experiences. And we all can have them. And we all do have them. It's our spiritual resume. These are the things that we need to examine every day of our lives. Because some experiences are good. Others are, are, are not so good, but they are there for teaching us. So every experience that we go through is to make us even better than we were before as a believer, as a servant, as a vessel in the hand of a mighty God. Because when it's said and done, we are in the hands of the God who uses us. Amen? So now I'm going to close. With these words, Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 11. And we're going to come to learn how to open up those little communion cups. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet or fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But notice verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, speaking of the other apostles, whether it were I or they, so we preach, 
And so ye believed. We preach, you believed, now you know, now you serve. Amen? Amen.